Hello, my praying people. This is the third of maybe a five-part series. We'll, we'll decide how many we're going to have along the way of a series that I've been doing, um, really talking about how to have faith and how much our faith uh, impacts the success of our prayers. I've so far talked to you about how we can pray the promises believing. That was um, a conversation that was straight from the notes that I used at a training that I did at Indian Rocks Baptist Church in Largo, Florida. I actually just finished posting a blog post on my website, prayerclinic.com. That blog is specifically for prayer leaders in local churches, and you'll find all kinds of resources and help and encouragement and those kinds of things on that blog if you want to subscribe to it or um, go and check it out. And anyway, I really shared today just a few minutes ago all about my trip. I gave you kind of a a report, an oral report, I guess it was a written report, of the fun we had there, complete with pictures. And I'd love for you to see what Indian Rocks Baptist Church is doing with their massive prayer clinic and under the great leadership of Teresa Nardozzi. But, um, and you know what, one day I'm going to have Teresa on here and we're going to talk about the prayer clinic, the ministry there and, and what she's got going on. That would be a really fun conversation for us to have. But for now, um, I'm going to start in this episode number three for the, um, for the, for the series of this faith versus doubt. And toward the end of last week's episode that I actually called faith versus doubt, I told you that I was going to take and break down three familiar phrases that we use um, in regards to prayer. And one of those is the phrase, if it be your will. Another phrase is, in Jesus' name I pray. And then the last one is not a phrase but a word, and that is the word amen. And so I think I'll probably take one episode of this podcast series to talk about each of these individually. And for today, today I want to talk about the phrase, if it be your will. I did talk about this and touch on it a little bit in last week's episode. And so I may um, duplicate just a little of that conversation. But for the most part, we're going to take a deep dive into the phrase, if it be your will. If this is something that resonates with you, you love what we're talking about, you know that it would encourage someone that you love, um, someone that may be struggling with um, their prayer life or wanting to learn more, um, consider sharing this podcast with them. This would be a great uh, thing to share, even with your small group, your life group, connect group, Sunday school class, whatever it is you call your group. And um, all of you... Uh, maybe listen to the podcast and then discuss what you've heard. You know, what do you agree with? What do you disagree with? How does it challenge you? What have you found to be true as you continue in this beautiful um, discovery uh, as we search out and glean the mysteries of prayer in our own lives? So just want to encourage you to share, to use this, to um, allow it to be a tool where you can share your faith and help others grow in their faith as well. But kick back, relax, and enjoy this conversation that I'm having really with myself and with you regarding the phrase that we use in prayer, the words that we say, if it be your will. The Bible teaches that God has plans for our lives and that one of our privileged positions in Christ 
um, is to release those plans through our prayers. Uh, We can launch this conversation about when it's right and when it's wrong to pray the phrase, if it be your will, by taking a look at what Jesus had to say about the will of God. Let me read you a couple of scriptures, one, two, three, four, in fact, that'll kind of set our biblical foundation for the conversation. And this comes from Matthew 6, verse 10. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, he prayed this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then in John 4, 34, Jesus said to the disciples and all of those who were with them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Luke 22, verse 42, Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane when he cried out, Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Or in other words, if it be your will. And then in Matthew 26, 42, again, Jesus, for the second time, went away and he prayed, Father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, your will be done. So what does it mean to pray if it be your will? To pray according to the the will of God is to immerse your your request or to, to bathe it, to completely cover it in the sovereign knowledge, discernment, and wisdom of God. To pray according to God's will, if it be your will, is to beseech God to respond to your prayer as He sees fit, even if that is far different than what you had hoped for or imagined. So, if it be your will is a phrase of surrender and submission. It's a phrase of acknowledgement that God does have a will and that he releases his will. It's his good pleasure to release his good pleasure on earth as it is in heaven. And then somehow the fact that we pray plays a role in the releasing of God's sovereign um, will into the circumstances on the platforms of our lives. So let's talk about this. When is it right to pray if it be your will? Of course, the biblical basis of this phrase comes primarily from Jesus's prayer when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. And I'm here to tell you that one of the most sacred places I have ever set my feet or um, allowed my, or, or been privileged enough to be able to bow down and pray, is at the rock um, that is in the Church of All Nations, and it's that rock that tradition holds that it was the place where Jesus was sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane praying this very prayer to the Father. And what's so beautiful about the Church of All Nations is that it sits in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, on the hill that overlooks Jerusalem. You see it just over the way where all of these ancient um, olive trees are growing. In fact, there's one olive tree that is as old as 2,000 years that very possibly could have been um, a, a little sprout 
at the time that Jesus was praying this prayer, or even if it weren't a sprout, it could have been the pit of one of the olives that was falling from the tree that was being planted at that time. And there's something so amazing about being able to be in the place where Jesus actually was. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying this prayer as he's preparing to face the cross. Understandably, Jesus was under tremendous strain. He knew full well what he was about to do. You see, because the plan of salvation had been in place from the very beginning of time. When God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Jesus was there. Do you remember how he said, let us create man in our own image? Who is us and who is our, if it's not the Trinitarian existence of our holy God? So the plan of salvation had been in place from the beginning of time because there is nothing that can happen that God is not aware of that he does not know will happen because he is in the beginning and the end all at the same time. He transcends time and therefore God knew when he was actually forming Adam and Eve out of dust that um, there was going to be a need for he himself to go and take the penalty for sin so that our relationship with him could be restored. From the very outside, God, God, God had a plan. And that was his plan was executed in the person of Jesus. So um, God foretold, actually, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he foretold the coming of Jesus and he foretold the plan that was going to happen, not in great detail, but in enough detail for us to be able to now look back and say, ah, God knew all along what was up. And this is in Genesis 3, verse 15, when God said to Satan, who was um, there in bodily form in the form of a serpent, and this is what he said, I will put in enmity, open hostility, between you and the woman and between your seed, your offspring, and her seed, her offspring, he shall fatally bruise your head, meaning the seed of um, Eve, but you will, um, will bruise his heel. Some call Genesis 3.15 the first gospel because this is where God's explaining what was to come. While Satan would certainly inflict pain and suffering on Jesus, bruise his heel, Jesus would defeat Satan and destroy his power forever or crush his head. So... What was Jesus hoping to accomplish in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying, if it be your will, take this cup from me? Perhaps he was hoping for a last-minute change in the plans. Or perhaps he was expressing his deep anguish in realizing that, indeed, the time had come. And maybe he was simply just being honest as he poured his heart out to his Father in full transparency and desperate dependency. Think about what Jesus could have prayed in the garden. Take this cup from me. Jesus could have shaken his fist heavenward and declared, you're asking far too much of me. I'm not doing it. Praise God that he didn't do that. Instead, Jesus qualified his heart's deep and desperate desire with this phrase, if it be your will. I love the Matthew 26, 42 account when it said again for the second time, he went away and he prayed, Father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, your will be done. Not my will, but yours be done. My friends, we pray right when we echo the words of Jesus, not only the words of Jesus, but the heart of Jesus as well. Let's think about what Jesus' heart was not doing 
Jesus's heart was not wrestling with believing in God's power. Jesus was not worried about whether God was able or not to get him out of the situation that he was in. His prayer was not one of desperate uncertainty that was hanging on to some kind of thread of hope as things around him were going from bad to worse. You see, when Jesus came to the garden that night, there was no question in his mind as to what God was able to do. The reason I can say that is because I've, I've looked at what Jesus was doing all along in his life. Do you remember that day when he asked his disciples to go get food for those thousands of people on the hillside to eat? And the disciples were like, we, we don't have enough money. There's not enough. There's not even a place to go get that much. Like you have asked us to do something impossible. And Jesus said, go and find out what you do have. And out of um, obedience, the disciples went. They found the little boy with the lunch. And he had, what he have? Two fish and five loaves. And they brought it to Jesus, <laughs> as tiny as it was. And when Jesus got that food, he didn't say, is this all you can come up with? You need to go back and look again. No. He took what they did have. And then he didn't pray and say, oh, God, this is all we've got. And, Lord God, if you can do anything, do something right now. Please, God, show these people that I am your son and that you are God. And, and let it be a glorious, miraculous day today so that we can see you do what only you can do. He did not plead like that in prayer. You know what the scripture says Jesus did? With those five loaves and those two fish, Jesus just lifted them heavenward. And he said, thank you, Lord, for providing lunch for us today. Jesus knew God was able. Jesus knew that God was able to do what is impossible with man, was possible with God. There was never any doubt in the mind of Jesus that God was able to do whatever needed to be done. For goodness sake, Jesus had already spent three years of his life in public ministry, healing people that were sick, saving people who were lost, bringing peace to people who were being tormented by evil spirits. He had already multiplied resources more than once, more than just that time I talked about. He had calmed storms and walked on water and even had brought life back to people who were dead. Jesus knew God was able but Jesus also knew that God was willing. Jesus was not wrestling with God's willingness to work on his behalf that night in the garden. Jesus was not wrestling to, to somehow connect with God so that he could get God to respond to his prayer. You see, he wasn't like the prophets of Baal who were dancing and writhing in pain and cutting themselves and doing all kinds of things to try to wake up the Baals and to Baal and try to um, get him to do for them what they desperately wanted him to do. Jesus was nothing like that. You see, Jesus had experienced the love of his father on countless occasions. You know, the angels actually came to herald his birth and even Jesus as an infant baby wouldn't have been aware of that, but he would have heard the stories Jesus knew that he had been saved from the uh, massacre that had, that had come to the people of Bethlehem, to those little boys in Bethlehem. Jesus also, when he was being baptized, when he was being obedient to begin his public ministry, would it say the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove? In the, in the body of a dove, the Spirit of God descended so that it would be visible and tangible expression of God's love for him. And we can only begin to imagine what went on. 
all of those mornings when it was very early in the day and Jesus got up and left his disciples sleeping and went away by himself to pray. Can you only imagine what it must have been like in those prayer times for Jesus to just sit with his father and to talk with him and to share with him what he was concerned about and to receive from him encouragement and strengthening and and direction and deep, deep inner peace, like none that we can possibly even fathom apart from the divine intervention of a holy God. (laughs) You see, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew that God was both willing and able And my friends, I believe that that's why he took full advantage of the opportunity that was available to him to enter into the throne room of God boldly and present his request there. In a way, Jesus was showing us what we could do when we face similar situations because Jesus was headed to the cross to take on himself the full retribution of sin, the wages of sin that was death, he knew even then that his sacrifice would pave the way for us to do what he was doing in the garden right before he he left to um, execute the plan of salvation. I thank God for Jesus' desperate request. Now we know that when the odds are stacked against us, when we can hardly crawl another step, when we don't know how we're going to make it one more day, that we too can cry out like Jesus and beg God to make it stop. Hebrews eleven six says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, Jesus was demonstrating what we now have the privilege to do because Jesus paved the way, because he gave his own life as a sacrifice for us. As we have received his gift and entered into this intimate, um, sacred space with God, no longer divided by the sin that separated us. It's been wiped away as new creations. We're welcome. God throws open the doors to his throne of grace and he, and he compels us. He says, come on in and don't come in worried about what you're going to say. Come on in and tell me what's on your mind. Go ahead and pray your heart out to God at the throne of grace. My friends, it is always right to pray if it be your will. When we're praying it, that phrase, as an expression of complete surrender to whatever pain we're enduring because we are invested completely in God's higher ways, in His thoughts that are well beyond ours. Oh God, let this cup pass from me if it be your will. Oh God, let let this sickness not lead to death, if it be your will. Oh God, miraculously heal um, me or a family member or a loved one, if it be your will. Because we're, we're yielding ourselves to what is God's purposes and his plans, and we're doing it in a, in a very raw and, and hard and painful and messy way, and God doesn't mind the mess. Because we're being honest and we're being real and, and we are um, receiving strengthening from the Lord 
for whatever his will is that we've now embraced. If it be your will. Lord, if it be your will. Now let me talk about when it's wrong to pray. If it be your will. I want you to know now what the devil has done to diminish our prayers and profane God's name by enticing us to misconstrue the use of this powerful phrase in prayer. You see, when we pray, if it be your will, as an act of complete trust and utter surrender, we're praying with power. But when we pray, if it be your will, as a safety net or an out, just in case God doesn't come through on our behalf, then we've desecrated the phrase completely. In his book, The Promising God, Richard Butcher says this, If all the reasons for doubting were ranked, I have no doubt that number one on the list would be doubting because of God's will. Most of us grow in our prayer lives to understand God in this progression of faith. Now see if you can hang with me in this. First of all, we come to a place in our walk with the Lord to recognize that God is indeed able to do anything. We, we read it over and over in the Bible. We begin to see evidence of, of the intervention of God in the lives of the people that we love and that we interact with. And I encourage you to interact with godly people, to share your stories, to listen as they share their stories, to invite often your friends to just share a praise report. What has God done that has just proven to you that he hears and answers you when you pray? We've begun doing this in our um, circle. We circle up every Tuesday morning as a staff at the church office, and we share. We start that time sharing what the praises over what God is doing in our lives, and it, and it never fails. We've also learned to pray specifically. We'll pray about something that's coming next week, and then the next week when we get together to pray, we can actually praise God for what he did over the something that we handed to him to pray. But anyway, all of that to say that one of our first steps in growing in our prayer life as a mature believer is that we do embrace the fact that God is able to do anything, anything at all. Even if it's impossible with men, it, it, it is possible with God. Then we get to the place where we understand that God wants us to exercise faith. That's the part that I'm really honing in on now in this series that was difference between faith and doubt. Faith is being certain. Doubt is being uncertain. How do we exercise our faith? It's with faith that we make that transaction. I talked about it in the in the previous episode about how we we pull the promises from our account with faith. Faith is the way that we make that transaction. Then number three the next progression in growth is that we recognize that faith is being certain that God actually does hear us when we pray. So then we begin to think, you know what? God really is on the other side of this. He's hearing. And we begin to develop the, the ability to then discern his voice and to recognize him and his response to us as we pray. But sometimes this is where we get stuck. From this point forward, we, we allow our own understanding of how prayer works to begin to develop like this. The fourth thing being, knowing that God loves me very much and wants what is best for me. And that is not a bad thing. That's a good thing, obviously. God loves me very much and he wants what is best for me. I am totally acquiesced to this. If it be your will, see, if it be your will is recognizing this. Lord, you're, what you want may be very different than what I want. And then number five is I can pray and ask God to give me what I want, 
but only God knows if that's what's best for me. So the best I can do, now this is where we land though, because we, we kind of park our car on Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9, that the ways of God are higher than ours, that his, um, his thoughts are better than ours. And this is so true. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying sometimes we park here. And so then we pray, we ask God to give us what we want, but only God knows if that's what's best for us. So we, we kind of lean into that. Only God knows if what I want is what I'm really going to get. So the best thing I can do is hope that God's going to respond in a way that's good and that I can trust his answer, even if it isn't what I really want. Now, some of this is just surrendering. It's recognizing God's ways are bigger. God's better. Remember, we're parking there at Isaiah 55. <laughs> but this can also be this. I will pray for that mountain to be moved. And if it be God's will, he'll move it. If not, well, at least I feel better about dealing with it because now I can accept that it's a mountain God wants me to face. And then we may thank God for prayer because we can find great comfort in sharing our concerns with him. And so we allow our prayer life to just kind of nestle into this spot of... um of uh, tossing up any desire that we have into the realm of God may or may not answer and whatever happens, it is good because he is God and I'm not. And um, because he's God and I'm going to believe that he's got this, just like my bracelets say he's got this, then I'm going to be really grateful that I had this prayer time because I feel so good on the other side of it. And um, while all of these things, like this is the steps that lead to surrender, they also can lead away from expecting God to do anything more than nothing. <laughs> because if we're not careful, we just are kind of dancing around, not really knowing if God's really going to do anything connected to our prayers and that we're just going to keep on saying, well, he's God, I'm not, and he's good, and I'll figure it out along the way. I hope that you're tracking with me because what I'm trying to say is in our in our place of of parking it in prayer, the, uh, you know, so to say, I'm I'm parking my prayer at the foot of Jesus. I'm recognizing that I'm not God; He is God. What do I know? That would be kind of the next thought. Then I can present my request to Him, and I can say, "But Lord, if it be Your will," meaning that there's always like that little bit of an out. So I feel better because I've given it to you, but um, I'm really seeking maybe even just to suffer, suffer bravely, not to expect um, anything necessarily to come of my prayer. And in this way, we begin to um, allow our not faith to be kind of wrapped up in faith. We acquiesce to prayer being no more than just a spiritual sedative for our difficult lives. And I don't know about you, but I want to thank God for prayer because he hears and answers, answers us when we pray, not because he makes living in this shadow land of unanswered prayer a bit more bearable. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm on a mission 
<laughs> for us as followers of Christ to take God at his word and understand that when we pray according to his will, one that he wants us to know his will, like, and he will let his will be known to us. That comes from surrender. We got to surrender. We got to surrender our own desires to his. But then when he lets his will be known to us, we need to take hold of that and trust that and stand against the doubts, fight the doubts and, and, and be excited that we're praying God's kingdom come, that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And simply because we've decided to pray, to trust him, to interact in this way, we're making the transaction by faith and God's will is coming and it's being executed and he's doing the amazing things that we saw Jesus doing, that God was doing in the New Testament, that he's still doing all over the world, especially for those that are exercising faith. Um, Butcher, back to the promising God, he suggests that we often use the phrase, if it be your will, that we often use the phrase, if it be your will, as a glorified way of saying, I don't have a clue whether or not you're going to answer this prayer. And here's how he said this. If it be your will sounds good, but it is just an expression of abject doubt clothed in pious sounding language. It is nothing more than saying, I have no idea whether what I've asked is actually going to be given or happen, which is nothing more than doubt. Doubt wrapped up in false humility. False humility that says, oh God, how can I, an infinitesimally tiny creature, a wretched little sinner, possibly know whether what I'm asking is your will? Butcher goes on to say that the notion that Christians can ever know whether something they ask God is his will or not is not a biblical teaching. And he references 1 John five fourteen, where John does say to us that when we pray according to the will of God, that we can be certain that he hears us and that he will deliver us what we're asking for. Butcher's point is that anytime we tack the phrase, if it be your will, on a prayer as, as a uh, as a get out of answered prayer free card, <laughs> we're doubting. And um, you and I both know what I'm talking about. You know, we pray something profound and then suddenly doubt creeps in. And so we just tack on the phrase, oh, well, if it be your will, so that we have an out just in case God doesn't deliver, then we can say, oh, well, then it must not have been the will of God. But what if it was the will of God and he really was just looking for you to believe? If you think about it, when Jesus was walking around doing his public ministry, think about what thrilled him more than anything else. It was always the faith that somebody was exercising in him. It was those people that came to him and said, Jesus, I know that whatever you say is going to be done. And, and they were the ones that said, Lord, even the crumbs that fall from the table are going to be more than enough. It was the people that weren't all caught up in the trappings of the religion and the way that, um, that uh, God's character was being distorted by the um, um, religious order of the day. And it was people that just saw Jesus as who he genuinely was, the son of the almighty God, the God who was and is and is to come, who absolutely nothing is impossible for, and the one that has proven that over and over and over again. One of the things that's my pet peeve today in my life is how often the devil uses actually the work of the devil, his own work, to trip people up and make accusations against Christianity um, in order for them not to believe. 
when it's it's ridiculous. Even Jesus um, exposed that and said, um, you, you, you're whitewashed sepulchers. What you're representing has death behind it. And one time he even said to the religious rulers of the day, um, you speak the same language as your father. And that language is lies. He's the father of lies and you are his children. And, and ironically enough, he's speaking to religion. And so what he was saying was who I am and who my father is and what we're about is being terribly distorted by the people and the schemes of the enemy who are doing that as if it was me doing that. Anyway, that's one of the things that I really get aggravated about. But all of this to say that we can actually even take the phrase, if it be your will, and it can be used as just a way to kind of slide our undercurrent of doubt into our prayer. Um, and I'm not dare saying that we can name it and claim it because we are all that. Only God knows, obviously, what can be named and claimed. But my friends, there are an awful lot of promises that God has made to us in his word that are there for the taking. They are there for us to apply to the specific situations in our own lives. And the only way that we're going to know if those promises belong to us, if they can be um, taken from God's account placed into ours and then pulled out in a specific situation is by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us while we're reading God's Word because the Spirit reveals truth. You may be listening to this and you're like, Leanne, when I read the Bible, I don't feel anything. It's confusing. I don't understand. And my advice to you would be keep reading. Keep reading it and keep asking the Lord. Even say to him, God, it, this isn't making any sense to me. It's not come alive to me like people talk about it does. Because I'm here to tell you, if you stay in the Word of God and if you immerse yourself in a pursuit of truth, then truth with a capital T will find you. He even tells us in his word that he'll do that in Jeremiah. He says, those who seek me, I will be found by them. In other words, I'm going to reveal the mystery of who I am to them when you seek him. And so if you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously seeking him if you're not ex experiencing him yet. And so my encouragement to you is that he will be found by you. God's going to expose himself. He's going to reveal himself to you. And before you know it, if you continue to be a student by, by dedicating yourselves, doing your part to open God's word and read it on a consistent basis, get in a Bible study and learn how to read it the way um, others have learned to read it. And, um, and you stay there with that. And if you will go to God with your hurt and your pain rather than go into other things and other people and, and other ways to appease your pain, if you keep going to him, he will reveal to you which one of those promises are yours. And my friends, if God gives you a promise, you don't even have to say if it be your will. That is God's will because he's a promise keeper. He's not going to give you a promise that he's not going to keep. And the beauty of it is God knows the end from the beginning. And so he knows when he gives it to you that it's going to be kept. And all he's inviting you to do is trust him. Trust him with it and grow in your love relationship with him as you watch him work in response to your prayers and in response to your trust. Now, I need to also say that, of course, God sometimes says no to us. He said no to Jesus that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And um, sometimes we don't pray the, the truth is that sometimes we don't pray according to God's will. And if we hang with God along the way, 
he might, in fact, he most likely will show us where we've got it all wrong. And he'll reveal things to us that help us learn um, truth. He, he like, um, how do we say, God reveals the mystery of our prayer and of himself almost to the degree as we trust him while we're suffering. That's the, um, that's the honest truth. God uses suffering and the journey through suffering to reveal himself. So I would say to you, if you've prayed and you're like, Leon, he's not working, he's not doing anything, he's not doing anything. I guarantee he's doing something and he's probably doing something deep and he's inviting you to go deep with him. And then the time will come when your prayer will be answered, especially if he's given you a promise he's going to hold to and it's going to be true. And when you get to that place, you're even going to appreciate how long it took you to get there because you're going to start seeing all of the things that God had for you on the way, all the all the ways that he changed you, he grew you, he He transformed you. Um, and, and then the next time when you're in a hard place again, you're going to get to start at that point. <laughs> But there's always ways to go deeper every every step of the way, I believe, until we take our last breath here and our first breath in heaven in his very presence. So um, there are certainly times when terrible, no good, very bad things happen in spite of our sincere prayers. I do not deny that. And when these things happen, we're left with the hard task of doing what um, Philippians 2, 12 and 13 mentioned, and that is working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And of course, we can talk about that on another day. But for today, know this, God will do what he purposes in his heart to do when you pray believing. God will answer your prayer according to his promises. If God's given you a promise, Consider his word a precious treasure and use it with confidence as you plead your case boldly before his throne of grace. After all, my friends, Jesus embraced the cross after he begged God to remove it so that you could do just this. Sincerely surrender your understanding, your preference, and your will to his over and over again, as often as you need to, with the words of Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. And wait in confident hope that God will indeed fulfill his promise to you. Sure, he'll give you comfort along the way. But my friends, there's nothing better than a miracle from heaven to really settle your soul. And that is what God's eager to do for you. There you have it, my praying people, a thorough conversation of the phrase, if it be your will, when we use it and what is the right heart attitude toward um, using that phrase in our prayers and when not to use that phrase. And I hope you've been challenged by this conversation. Uh, once again, I just want to encourage you to share this, this podcast with others. Um, please do give us a rating, subscribe so that you'll never miss not a single podcast that we're doing. And then I also want you to um, know, once again, I share this often, that the whole uh, prayer clinic ministry is a dynamic ministry designed for the local church where we take the um, we take God at his word. We believe that he hears and he answers us when we pray. We set up just like a medical clinic would at the local pharmacy, a little minute clinic. 
And we have a trained team of praying people who believe that God hears and answers us when we pray, who pray and stay with others who need prayer. And in this way, we track with people and their prayers. We watch what God's doing in response to our prayers, and we celebrate answered prayers when they come. Already, um, we're collecting stories of answered prayers left and right. If your church does not have a dynamic prayer ministry, if your church's prayer ministry is just kind of, I don't know what it really is. It's kind of here. It's kind of there. Of course, everybody prays. And if you don't have a systematic approach to training your people, um, giving your people a place where they know they can experience prayer and um, shouldering the load of prayer ministry with a team rather than just one or two people, then the prayer clinic ministry is exactly what's going to work for you. And I want to encourage you to reach out, to contact me. Let me know that you're interested. We have an online, we have a virtual open house where you can actually see our prayer prayer clinic ministry in action. And um, I will be glad to talk to you individually. I'll be glad to meet with your pastor, with any of your leadership, whatever. I I am on a mission to mobilize the church to pray, to get our churches to be houses of prayer so that the character and the person of God can literally start flowing into the platform of our churches. And the world will know that we we serve a risen Savior who's in the world today that we know that he is living no matter what men may say because he lives within our hearts. Take care and keep on praying, my praying people.